Stock Dads are back for season two of their hit podcast, Stocks and Sandals. Following two best buds and former college roommates on their journey to build generational wealth. So tuck in your t-shirt, put your Crocs in sport mode, and let's grill up some profits. Here are your hosts, DJ Brown and Mike Zabala. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Stocks and Sandals podcast. This is your host, Mike Sabala, and I am joined by DJ Brown, and this could be an interesting one, DJ. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> yeah, we talked about it a little bit before, but you have had a little bit of a development in your life, so tell um, the people what's going on and why this podcast could be interesting. We'll see. Yeah, so I got diagnosed with ADD a few weeks ago. And there have just been some issues like with getting medication and stuff. So it finally came in today and I went and picked it up. I got Adderall. And so I just took one and I have <laughs> no idea how I'm going to react to it. So this is kind of a social experiment here live. <laughs> you said you were going to start smelling colors. I like that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, it's, oh, no, it's, it's not LSD. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I know, right? I think Mike's way overplaying like this medication, but no, I, I it could be interesting. I have no idea. Yeah. I, I don't know what to expect either. Do you remember Chet from college, Mike? I think so, yeah. He was one of the guys on our floor and stuff, and he always took Adderall, and he always just got like super like philosophical, and like yeah. it was like the <laughs> best time to talk to Chet was when he took Adderall. <laughs> this will be fun. I'm glad you're open and honest about that. I think it'll be interesting to see how this changes the, the quality of your life and stuff, and I'm happy yeah. for you, man. Yeah, we'll see what the next hour holds though because it's the first time this stuff's hitting your system so yeah. you're going to be bouncing <laughs> off the walls or you're going to fall asleep mm -hmm. on us so yeah or probably maybe your most not. productive episode yet who knows yeah so. start taking bets now <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. probably not uh, the best time to try it out but i'm excited I, to see what happens i think beg to differ i think it is the best time to try it out yeah. let's record this for the whole world to see <laughs> yeah <laughs> good stuff so we're super excited today to have mark russell with us the ceo and founder of the better wall it. I already tried to let him know that I was just going to found the best wallet, but he swiftly threatened me with legal jujitsu and was going <laughs> to sue me because he's got a trademark and all that stuff too. So Mark, we're super <laughs> excited to have you on. You and I have kind of formed a friendship over the past, you know, year or so I'd say. And, you know, we've been working together and networking and kind of, you know, helping each other out with a lot of different things and stuff. We met over Instagram and when I hopped in your DMs, you know, because how I make most of my friends is sliding into DMs. So <laughs> that's right. Today, we're going to be talking about some really important stuff, especially for all the beginners that listen to our podcast, people that are not, you know, seasoned investing, trading vets. They are, you know, maybe just normal people, normal dads, normal, you know, whoever that have not really gotten into this side of the financial realm yet and have some work to do maybe to get themselves prepared. So we're going to talk about all the different things that should be taken into very strong consideration before starting to invest in, you know, a traditional IRA and all that kind of stuff. Budgeting and getting out of debt, basically the foundation that we really need to build to get into all this kind of stuff. But before we jump into all that, Mark, take a minute, introduce yourself, tell the people you have a super interesting backstory. So, you know, give people like a little bit about your background and how you came to be who you are and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, thanks. First and foremost, thanks for having me on. 
it just definitely, you know, quite a story. But DJ, I want to thank you for, you know, kind of being there for me over the last year. I know I've had like a series of questions on, you know, how to go about starting a podcast to a community. Uh, DJ has been great and then like helped me out with not wanting anything in return. So that's really the definition of brotherhood. And I, I appreciate that. Not to jump too far into my story, because we could be here all day. I'm not sure how long the podcast is. But, you know, I come from really humble beginnings. Both of my parents, my mom and my dad, were addicted to drugs. And I was immediately placed into foster care as soon as I was born. After about 13 years of going from foster home to foster home, living with all types of different people from the Mexican population to I lived with the Amish for a little bit. It was crazy, but it gave me a strong appreciation for different types of people in different cultures. After, you know, 13 years of going from home to home, I settled in a small town in rural Pennsylvania, middle of Pennsylvania, right below where State College is at, where Penn State's located. And that's where I, I went and had my high school career. So after you know high school, the question always popped up, hey, like, you know, do you want to go off to college? And where I was from, my hometown, no one went off to college. That was just not a thing. Everyone wanted to be a trucker or, you know, they wanted to go to a trade school, whatever it might have been. And I remember telling my parents, hey, like, I want to go to college and I don't know how I'm going to pay for it, but I'm going to figure it out. And luckily, my grades were really good in high school where I was able to get into Penn State main campus. So long story short, I was able to go four years at Penn State and pay for my own schooling. By working odd jobs, I became an RA. I did marketing for small companies, and I was able to scrape enough money together to put food on the table. I even sold plasma, which at the time didn't seem too bizarre, um, but that was a way that I was able to make you know $40 a week. I'm in order to put food on the table, but that was just the life I was living at the time. So graduated with a degree in business economics and applied for a job at this company by the name of Vanguard, who at the time, I didn't know who they were. And they were definitely not the behemoth of the company that you see now. And you know, I joined, I didn't know what a mutual fund or ETF or any of that stuff was. But luckily, I was able to go and get into one of their rotational programs, uh, one out of 25 people that they picked throughout the country to rotate throughout their company to essentially work on projects and present at the higher management. After graduating from school, I had $80,000 of debt and I was living paycheck to paycheck and essentially had to learn how to manage my own money by myself. Ironically, I was helping people build investment portfolios in my nine to five. But when I got back home, I found myself in this reality where I was living, as I mentioned, paycheck to paycheck and trying to manage my own money. So went through my debt-free journey and fast forward, what, seven years, eight years, uh, became debt-free as of last year. And with that, I had my Better Wallet page. And essentially, I teach everything I learned from foster care to living in a small, poor town to college education, 529 plans, everything I learned at Vanguard, along with me being a stockbroker and a financial advisor by license, I combined all that into the Better Wallet page and Essentially, I'm building out the brand now. I went full-time as of a couple of weeks ago, and I am just having a lot of fun, you know, kind of building all of that out. So that's the story, though a long story. It has been a fun one for sure. 
No, that's super cool. And props to you for going full time. I know that's a big jump and a big leap. I haven't even made it myself and looking forward to the day where I have the balls to do it. You know, we'll see. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's been fun to watch your journey. I've been following along for, like we said, you know, over a year and it's been very cool. Before we jump into all the questions that Mike and I have for you, we're going to start off with some dad jokes. Okay, we got to get these bad boys out of the way. Break the ice. Let's get this thing moving. So, Mike, what do you got for us? You got one today? Yeah, so I have one from a friend. Wait, is it from, what's her face? Yeah, Olivia is is her name. Oh, Brooke? No. Brooke! It's not from from Brooke. Dang it. Not from Brooke, yeah. Brooke was our season one resident. She basically did all of Mike's work for him. Yeah, she did. (laughs) She did. (laughs) She always had great dad jokes for him, which is ironic because she's, you know, not. Well, I guess you're not a dad either, but she's not even the same. Like, she's not even a guy. (laughs) So it's like, man, you really just were slacking. But anyways, go ahead. So this is also from a female, not dad. So this is my friend, Olivia. So here we go. Why didn't the toilet paper cross the road? Why didn't it? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a good one. I don't know. Because it got stuck in the crack. (laughs) Damn corny. (laughs) It wasn't using Charmin. (laughs) (laughs) That was a crappy joke. There we go. There we rounded it out with the real dad stuff. Awesome. Mark, did you come with one? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. looking through the notes before, like, as I was prepping. I was like, oh, shit, like, I need that. <laughs> that joke somehow. Oh, welcome to my life. Yeah. <laughs> I was, like, scrambling beforehand. And luckily, I was able to not find one on Google and come up with one because mm. I'm a very creative person. Oh, this could be dangerous. This yeah. could go one of two ways. This yeah. could be a, so a I huge to... bust or... <laughs> yeah. or we'll see. Now, I want to combine one that you know had to do with the holidays but also had to do with money so here we go <laughs> what do you call a poor santa claus what's that dj you want to give it a try saint nicholas oh boo <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> wait did you actually make that up maybe okay i was gonna say like dang that's impressive <laughs> Uh, thank uh, you, right. countryliving.com. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, honestly, uh, though, so we've been doing the podcast for a little bit, and like I'm not a very social person in general, but honestly, like the pressure DJ puts on me to find dad jokes is almost worse than <laughs> the actual well, anxiety okay, so, of interviews for me. <laughs> so, so here's the, the hard part, is that the longer that this podcast goes on, the more likely it is that we just say the same jokes over and over again. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's clear who listens to our podcast and who doesn't. And Mark clearly is not a fan because that one was just said like last week's episode. <laughs> like, literally like it was released like the, one the episode that came out last week. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, the one you gave. Oh, come on. <laughs> So it's clear to find out who the real fraud fans are. Oh, I'm a big fan of your podcast. Oh, okay, Mark. Okay, Mark. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But yeah, I feel like this one may be one that we've done, but I'm going to say it anyways. I think the I one like I said might have been done too. Maybe. I don't know. Mike's medicated. I have a very low IQ and Mark just doesn't pay attention to our show. So that, those are our excuses. Okay. Okay. So why do you never see elephants hiding in trees? Ooh, I think this one has been said before. before. I I won't steal the punchline. Because they're really good at it. Yeah. 
Bazinga. I think that's super Nothing. funny. I've just Nothing heard it Mark, before. Mark's like, I don't even want to talk to you guys anymore. Yeah. He's like, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> and I'm he's out. gone. He's gone. <laughs> and he's uh, gone. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, ice has been broken. We suck at dad joke. Well, we were much better in the beginning when all of the world's resources were at our fingertips, but now mm-hmm. it's becoming harder. So yeah. if you guys I have think- ideas of things that we can do, our listeners, if you guys have ideas, because the one time I did a Would You Rather, I think it scarred Mike for life. So I haven't yeah, done any Would You Rather. Fucked up Would You Rather. <laughs> uh, Mark, the Would You Rather that I asked Mike, now I'm going to bring it up again just because it's after that the funny. show's probably um, fine. Okay, so if your girlfriend or wife or whoever and your mother freaky Friday'd, right? They switched bodies. And the only way that you could turn them back was to have sex with one of them. Which would you have sex with? You don't have to answer. <laughs> well, Mark, I like that he's given thought to it, at least. Well, that would assume that you wanted to switch him back. Mm. Right? So, so you just, want to, you want to date your you mother? I you would want to switch them back. <laughs> I would, you want your I girlfriend would, to be your mom? Or you want I to would date just your... isolate myself and just move to an island somewhere. Just break everyone. it off. So no family, no deal yeah. with that challenge. Yeah. <laughs> I dig it. I dig that response. That's that cool. is the answer I should have given. It is. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Would you say that? You'll just have to go listen to the episode, man. <laughs> Everybody's go check it out. <laughs> go download yeah. it. Yeah, everyone's going to have to go find that one. Okay, let's start the podcast. So, Mark, I guess the first thing that I want to start with, I mean, because we could talk for hours about your entire story. I think people should reach out to you and follow your page at Better Wallet on Instagram and all that to learn more about like all the history and everything. But for the purpose of today's podcast, I want to start with basically, so all these people that are listening right now that are either heavily in debt, even if they're not heavily in debt, they just are in debt. They don't have investment accounts set up. They're not, you know, preparing for the future yet. They're living paycheck to paycheck, whatever. You overcame, I think it was like $80,000 worth of debt and Mm -hmm. paid it all off and, you know, got yourself squared away. And now you're running a freaking business about it, right? So Mm -hmm. what was the first step you took? When were you like, okay, this is a problem. I need to figure this out now and I got to get started. Yeah. So, you know, first and foremost, you know, one thing that I learned was, you know, I wasn't alone. I remember doing research and found out that most people were living paycheck to paycheck. Most people had some form of debt. I want to say Dave Ramsey said 80% of Americans have some form of debt, let it be you know their mortgage or credit card debt or personal loan, what have you, student loans. So that was the first thing I realized. But for me, I just remember being in Philly and I was just doing a makeshift budget. And I remember seeing how much I was spending and then how much I was bringing in at the time at Vanguard, they don't pay that much. That's the reason why the fees are so low. Um, I was making like- Damn. Yeah, yeah. Called <laughs> out. Shots well, fired. They, 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 you know, they, they try to sell you like total compensation. Like they have an amazing 401k package. I don't remember ever paying for anything when I went to the doctors or a dentist. I got a root canal before and they were just like, you're good. So Could you they imagine Vanguard- Having a really bad retirement package for their employees. Like, that would be the epitome of irony. That's funny. That's good they added that, at least. All right, sorry yeah. to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah, all good, all good. It's funny. If you guys want to look up Vanguard, they actually removed 
a major retirement package for retirees lately, and they're under a lot of heat, but that's mm-hmm. neither here nor there. But anyhow, I found myself living paycheck to paycheck. I was bringing $50,000 a year when I first graduated from school. And I remember shedding a tear because I was like, man, like I'm going to be living paycheck to paycheck for the rest of my life. Because likely I'm going to maybe get, you know, 5% every year, 5% additional salary every year, but that's not going to help the situation. And then I started doing research, like how can you stop, you know, living paycheck to paycheck and learn about lifestyle inflation um, and essentially how people go and they've increased their expenses when they start making more money. So that's really where it started, building that budget and realizing, man, like, I don't want to live like this anymore. Uh, so really that was the first step yeah so i have a couple kind of directions that you know i could take it based off of that but Mm -hmm. i think the first kind of question i have revolves around like a budget right Mm -hmm. so you said you made a budget and just kind of got an idea of what you're spending and making yep so when you're going through the process of creating a budget or a spending plan or something like that how do you structure it so one you can like stick to it or make it easier to actually follow through with the spending portion of it? What's some advice you have on that? Yeah, no, definitely. Really important topic because there is a difference between having a budget and actually sticking to it. Mm-hmm. And most people have some form of a budget or a list of bills or whatever. And then you know, sticking to it is another animal. So in terms of building a budget, there's four main parts. You have your income, which is really easy. Most people can you know, spit out, okay, this is how much I'll make you on an annual basis or even an hourly basis. And then people can normally name the next section fixed expenses. That's pretty much all the bills that you have. And if you're not paying them, like it's going to kill your credit or like someone's going to be after you, right? So that's number two. Number three, and the one that everyone forgets is variable expenses. Variable expenses are the reason why people have overdraft fees because we go out, we have fun. Like we're guys, like we go out, we drink beer. That's what we do. And if you're going out to restaurants, if you're going out, if you're still old enough to go and get bottle service, whatever it might be, you know, that's all variable expenses, including, you know, things like, you know, Hulu paying for, you know, brand new clothes, shoes, whatever, all variable expenses. And that tends to be a lot of the spending that you're doing on a month basis. Section number four of a budget is really just a total of everything. So your income, whether it be, you know, investment income or your salary or side hustle income, manage all of your expenses. And then you have the remainder being your discretionary income or the money that you have after all expenses that you can use towards anything you want, whether it be, you know, debt payments or investing or what have you. For most people, as I mentioned, people live paycheck to paycheck. For most people, that discretionary income number is zero, but they don't even know that. And a lot of times it's negative. And guess where that money comes from? Credit cards. People just swipe. Most people who are in debt or living paycheck to paycheck, they are able to afford their lifestyle because of credit cards. And the credit card companies know that. So they take full advantage, they charge 18% APR, and they make a lot of money off of that. So that would be the four steps of building a budget is kind of having those different sections. The other monster of you know maintaining it for me was, you know, I never really struggled with that part because I'm a fairly disciplined person in terms of like saying a schedule and saying, okay, well, this is when I'm going to update my budget. But for me, when I had a nine to five, it was on a biweekly basis. As soon as I got paid, it wasn't this way from the beginning. I had to learn about this process over time and figure out what worked best for me. 
But when I had the nine to five, every other week we get paid. And then Friday morning, I'd wake up and I pay my fixed expenses, you know, rent, uh, cable, whatever, and then plan out my variable expenses. Okay, I know this month I'm going to Mexico, whatever it might be. I know I need X amount of dollars for that. I also want to invest, you know, $1,000 or whatever. I want that new pair of jeans. I want those sandals, right? So you get all of that and you list it out. And then I know at the end of the day how much money I have left in my discretionary income or the money that I have left over. So that's really how you build a budget and then how I was able to maintain it. But it really depends on what you're more comfortable with. If you have a spouse, you have to have those money conversations with them if you combine finances. So that can make it a little bit more tricky. Yeah. So a quick question, and I might be diving, I guess, maybe too deep into it. Yeah, it might be. It might be. It's kicking in, boys. You called this, Mark. You were like, you said this before the show. You were like, tell me more about this. So I think this is a good question, though. Okay. So you mentioned discretionary income and variable expenses there. And I think for probably a lot of people, like they don't separate those two categories. I think their discretionary income is baked into their variable expenses. So do you have advice on how you can just be more disciplined with those variable expenses? You know, like maybe budgeting to, you know, buy a new outfit like every month or, you know, like whatever, just being able to save some of that and not spend all of it. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And it really comes down to what makes you happiest. You know, when I was spending way too much on variable expenses, it was on things I didn't really care for, you know, going out with friends. Well, I care about that, but not as much as like my budget was telling <laughs> Screw me. Screw you, friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, but, Money. Yeah. <laughs> buy new clothes, make sure I had a new pair of shoes. I wanted to buy a new suit because I was in finance. I needed to make sure I had the best suit. Right. So like you're spending all your money on things that didn't matter. But once I got to the point where I said, hey, like, what do I really care about? What do I want to achieve this year? And you kind of work backwards and then you say, OK, well, in my variable expenses, I want to make sure I'm paying for different courses where I'm going to learn more about estate planning, whatever it might be. Or you might say, hey, like, but I really do need a new outfit or a couple new outfits. I need a new pair of shoes because my other shoes have a hole in them. Whatever it might be, you kind of want to work backwards and then figure out what your variable expenses should be throughout the year. But most people don't kind of follow that process. They say, hey, like, I want something. I'm going to spend my money and get it. And then all that money goes to Amazon or whatever. And then you look back at your statements and a mentor once told me, when you look at your bank statements and you categorize everything, it should speak to your goals. For most people, it does not. So that was my come to Jesus moment when I looked at my bank statements and I realized my variable expenses were all going towards things I didn't really care about as much. Yeah. yeah. So with, you know, kind of setting a budget, right, that comes with a lot of decisions that people have to make right ahead of time which is part of the removing the emotion from, you know, spending and stuff like that. If you have the discipline to stick to a budget, right? Okay, I made a budget. I've got this much, you know, set aside for this and that's it. Like for going out to eat, right? Or, or takeout or whatever. Like if I spend this much, I'm done for the month, okay? But a lot of people fall into the trap of, you know, 
ah, well, I already blew it. So, you know, I'm just going to, you know, kind of go the whole rest of the way. I do this myself with my own weight loss journey. I like I blow one day and I give up, you know, like calorie counting for the week or whatever. You said you're a disciplined person by nature, but not everybody is disciplined, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm very disciplined in certain aspects of my life, very undisciplined in other aspects of my life. So what would you say to somebody or like, how would you as a, you know, a financial advisor as a, you know, this debt journey coach personality and like brand that you're building, what would you say to a client that says like, I keep screwing it up and I, mm-hmm. you know, I just keep, you know, making mistakes and I'm just like, it's just not worth it. I'm just going to live my life and figure it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say I haven't always been, I don't even think I'm perfect now, but I haven't always been great at budgeting. And one thing that really helped me, and I should have mentioned this before, I actually built a category into my variable expenses called fun money. So, you know, your definition of fun might be different from mine, but for me, it was, I love to eat. And if someone says, hey, like, I'm going out to a restaurant, we're going to have a great time. I'm going. I don't care. <laughs> so that's me. That's one thing I'm not as disciplined with. I love eating and I love you know going out with friends. So I built part of my budget that was all fun money. And before the pandemic, before people got weirded out about like touching things, I actually would take the money out of my bank and I would have cash envelopes and I would have like you know, this cash and this cash envelope. If I were to go out, I would take the cash along with me. That way I couldn't go and spend too much. If I did, like then, you know, I would essentially tell my friends, hey, like I used all my money that I plan to use for this. And luckily I have good friends that are pretty cool with it. They'll make fun of me for a little bit, but then they're like, ah, we get it. Ah, we understand yeah. what you're that's, that's how one of our friends is too. That's what Andy does, DJ. And I think it's really smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it takes a lot of discipline to do that, too, though, because, I mean, again, it's like, you know, but it does make it more visual. You know what I mean? It makes it more like tangible because like when you just swipe a debit card or whatever, you know, it's like it's just a number. It doesn't matter. But when you slowly see your cash dwindling and stuff, I can definitely see how that helps for sure. Exactly. Yeah, I remember reading something a couple of weeks ago saying that if you use cash or even a debit card, you actually spend less than a credit card. I think the number was like close to 18 percent. Don't quote me on that, but you know we spend 18% more when we use a credit card versus using cash or a debit card. Because with a, de- or a debit card and cash, we can see that, to your point, we see that money leaving and you actually have that emotional pain. You're like, damn, I don't even know if we're allowed to cuss on here, but my dad. Oh, yeah. Was- oh, we are. <laughs> my dad was a sailor. My mom was a high security prison guard. So just- <laughs> but, you know, like you see that money leaving, but with a credit card, when do you actually feel that pain? when that monthly bill hits and then you're just like, oh, I got to pay that off. I need to pay off all those days that I didn't have that great discipline. So your question, DJ, as it relates to discipline, what I try to do is I know I can't trust myself in the moment. Like if I'm out and I'm drinking and I'm eating or if I'm having fun, I'm not going to tell myself, okay, I'm only budgeted, you know, $50 to you know, have a round of drinks with my friends. So instead, I know every Friday before the weekend, hey, this is how much money I have for X category. I'm going to make sure I set that aside. So when I'm in the moment, I'm already constrained in what I can do. Surround yourself around people who understand your goals as well. If I had horrible friends that were just like, listen, Mark, like I understand you want to be this budget guy. Um, but we want to have fun, you know, blow all your money. It would be a much different situation. And honestly, like your friends, 
as I mentioned, your friends are a big part of it. And when it comes to just spending in general, you have to, that's one thing I, I kind of talk about in like a lot of my products and on my page, your friends dictate a lot of your spending, your friends and your family. So that's why there's like friends and family discounts because like for these different retailers, because they know that fact, they know that psychology. So you got to kind of keep that in mind and, you know, surround yourself around people who are going to help you, you know, kind of reach your financial goals. Sure. One of the things that you mentioned earlier was, I forget the term you used, but like people inflating their lifestyle, something like mm -hmm. that. Lifestyle inflation. Yeah. Yeah. Lifestyle inflation. What are your thoughts on like, I guess, do you just have like a percentage or kind of a marker people should be aiming for as far as how much they should be saving a month? In the financial advising world, there are ratios, like saving ratios that, you know, people say you have to stick to. I want to say it's like between 20 and 30 percent. But for me, it, it really comes down to your goals. And this is the financial advisor talking, right? It's just like, you know, it's all based off your goals and like what you believe. So if you're, you know, essentially saving for, I don't know, a new home, you probably want to be saving more than someone who is trying to, I don't know, afford a new pair of Jordans or whatever it might be. There's no specific rule per se, but if you're looking for the actual number, I would say between 20 and 30% of your income would be the safe number based off of all these financial books out there. Let's talk about investing. So we talk about budgeting and saving and spending less than you make and being, you know, disciplined about all that stuff. Okay, well now it's time, you know, or maybe this time comes earlier that's leading to my question, but to invest, right? To start having your money work for you, okay? Some people subscribe to, you know, the Dave Ramsey rules where if you have debt, you pay it all off and that you you know, before you invest a dime, right? Others say that you should pay yourself first and invest before you even budget out the rest of your expenses and stuff like that. What are your thoughts on that? Because they're very polar opposite ideas and you really can't do one without the other. So I guess, you know, which side of that coin do you fall on or some other combination? Are you saying more of, you know, paying off debt before investing or... Or investing even before you pay off debt? Because like there are people that, you know, say like, okay, you know, I have to start getting my money to work for me. So it starts earning interest, which can then help me pay off debt and stuff like that. But if I'm constantly, you know, in the rat race where I'm paying off debt every week and I never have any money to invest, you know, like you're taking away the time that compounding interest can, you know, yeah. help and all that kind of stuff. So... What are your yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, and I would definitely say folks like Dave Ramsey, I mean, he's obviously doing something right, but he could be very absolute in his statements and it doesn't really speak to everyone in their financial situation. However, Dave, Mr. Ramsey has helped me you know, pay off debt and I follow his model to an extent and I realize, hey, like that's the direction that he wanted me to go in is probably not the best for me. Um, so you kind of have to make that personal decision. But yeah, I mean, for me and what I coach and what I teach, it really comes down to, again, like what you're most comfortable with. You know, for me, I wanted to pay off all debt before I started investing into anything that wasn't the employer match. So for me, it was pay off debt. At the same time, I'm going to take advantage of that 5% employer match that, you know, Vanguard was giving me when I worked for other companies like private equity and fintech, I knew that they were giving me this match. So I was going to take advantage of that. And I wanted to make sure I was investing in my retirement package 
um, before I started investing in my traditional brokerage. Um, so that was really critical for me. And then once I pay off debt, I told myself, all right, well, I already been putting money into my retirement. I'm going to continue to do that, maybe not increase my contributions, but I'm going to start putting money into my traditional brokerage and start getting into like these broad based uh, ETS, mutual funds, whatever. So luckily that kind of worked out for me. But if you're in a situation where one of my good friends, I was actually his best man at his wedding, he has a lot of debt. He's a doctor in California. And he always asked me a question, like, should I pay off debt before I start investing? I'm like, if you pay off all your debt before you start investing, you're going to lose out on a lot of years that your money could have been compounding. So we sat down, we're you know working on the plan to see both of those situations. If you start investing now, how that's going to impact your debt-free journey. And then if you start paying off a lot of your debt, how much that's going to impact your investment journey. So that was like really critical for him to see. I think he's going to go down the route of just investing more and paying off debt as he goes because he's going to try to qualify for public service loan forgiveness. So that's going to work out for him. But it all depends on what you're comfortable with and how it's going to impact your overall financial situation. And if you're comfortable with that, you know, I could have become debt free much earlier if I didn't put my money into my retirement package. But instead I said, okay, well, I'm happy being debt free in 2020. Sounds like a really good number. It's probably gonna be a great year, which is being <laughs> wrong. Missed, missed the mark on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew that that was the date. However, I could have became debt free 2019. But I said, hey, like, I want to invest my money in my retirement. So it really depends on what you're looking to do. Sure. So on the topic of debt, right, part of like a good financial foundation is like your credit score and your ability to get loans and stuff like that. I'm going to use my situation as an example. It might be a little unique, but probably enough people fall into this category. So I have student loans that are like 12 to 13 years old. Like they're my oldest line of credit. Like they're my, the oldest thing reporting. And I am in a position now where I can pay those off. But I think if I do, my credit's going to take a really big hit because I'm going to be paying a decent amount off at once. And after that's gone, my longest line of credit is going to be like four years, something like that. I'm in a position where I'm not exactly sure if it's worth it for me to pay off my student loans completely, because I think it could really impact my credit score. Mm -hmm. So do you kind of have thoughts on that? You know, maybe not advice for me, but someone in my situation, like, would it be wise to pay off those student yeah. loans or so first a quick question are you planning on buying a home or getting a car within the next you know five ten years yeah so i would like to maybe look at getting like rental properties or getting a new house or something like that where you know they would be looking at my credit mm -hmm. so for my situation yes i think that's a really key question i remember talking to someone about this a couple of years ago. I worry about the same thing, especially as I was paying off you know, a massive amount of debt in a short period of time. I was like, oh man, my credit score is going to take a hit. And I remember talking to that person. They said, well, like, are you planning on buying a home? Like, Are you going to use your credit in any form or fashion into the future? And I was like, I don't think so. I'm going to try to ride my car as long as I can. And you know, eventually I'm 
probably not going to have a car. And then over time, maybe I might buy a home, but honestly, I probably won't get one until later in life. I'd much rather be in REITs and you know things like that in order to get real estate exposure. And they're just like, well, then your credit score doesn't really matter. It's really just a number that they hold above your head. And they say, oh, you have to have a great credit score. But you know, as long as it's not completely trash, like you're fine, right? And if you are not trying to use your credit in order to get a new car or a home or whatever it might be, it's not as relevant. In your situation, I would say try to find a way to slowly, like find that middle ground instead of just completely paying it off or, you know, not paying it off that quickly. Maybe try to build a plan to pay it off over time and within the short term, go and try to get that investment property. And then once you get it, then, you know, tank your shit. Like, but, you know, <laughs> but once you get it, then like start paying off that debt. And then you'll be in a situation where your credit utilization score isn't completely fucked. Like it would be if you, you know, just completely paid off your student loan debt and you didn't have any other outstanding debt. So that's the way I would approach it. Okay. My thoughts were I could pay off like my high interest loans and then just kind of make yeah payments on the rest so yeah that's a good point and that's one thing i should have unraveled a little bit it also really does depend on your student like if you have a private loan and it's 20 percent or whatever it is nowadays i would say 100 percent get rid of those and then the lower interest student loan debt you know kind of hold on to until you get that property then pay it off and then for others if you're in a situation where you're able to write off that interest if you're making i want to say the number is your AGI has to be less than 75000 per year. If you're still able to write off that interest, and that's more of a reason to continue to pay your student loan debt over time and not completely pay it off in one year once they kick back interest later down the road for federal loans. So, But that's a completely different topic, but definitely a factor. Awesome. Mike, I think you had mentioned you had one other question. I, I'm good. So before we wrap up, go ahead and get your other question, and then we'll wrap this bad boy up. Okay. Yeah, and this it's a good one to end on because it's kind of a fun-ish question, I think. I'll be okay. the judge of that. Okay. <laughs> I'm scared. So, yeah. yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. All right. So as far as like a financial foundation goes, right, like an emergency fund is something you should have in your back pocket in case something comes up, right? I guess it's kind of like a two-part question. So first, what is like the best way to hold your money in reserve, like especially with how inflation is right now that's the first question and the second question i'll go right now because it's kind of tied together but what are your thoughts on like buying something that doesn't depreciate very much like i don't know like say you get like a five thousand dollar watch or something right and use that as like a concrete emergency fund because like a savings account you don't get a ton of interest and inflation's really high is that a viable strategy to like buy an asset that doesn't depreciate very much? And then, you know, if something happens, you know, you can sell the watch for 500 bucks less than you got it or something yeah. like that. I'll unravel a couple of those questions real fast. So for emergency fund, yes, you have to have an emergency fund. I recommend getting an emergency fund before you start paying off debt because the time that you realize that you need an emergency fund is when an emergency is actually happening. And that to figure it out. And I kind of compare it to like, come with me here. So it's very similar to like being in the bathroom and realizing at the last minute that you don't have a toilet roll there. Like you don't mm -hmm. have a 
favor. Like the worst. Full time circle with your dad joke, Mike. Full circle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the worst time to figure out that you don't have toilet paper is when you actually need it. Then you're mm-hmm. like yelling after the kids, "Hey, yeah. hey!" Help. Um, so you don't want to be in that situation with your emergency fund. So that's number one. And then with how much you should have in your emergency fund, the CFP Certified Financial Planning Board, they recommend three to six months of expenses, depending on if you have another credible source of income or if you have a spouse who has a job. If you have a spouse with a job or another credible source of income, you're good with three months. If you don't, then you should have six months of all expenses fixed and variable. And that's the importance of having a budget because you wouldn't know that unless you have a budget. So that's my advisor tangent. Now, in terms of where you should actually keep that money, you want to definitely have it in a place where you're keeping up with inflation. You also want to make sure it's in an area where it's liquid, meaning that if you lose your job today, like I want to say, what's the company name? Better.com. They just laid off 15% of their workforce like during a Zoom call. And though they had a severance package and everything, like it was only, want to say, three months or so that they were going to have that severance package, right? Like, what if you can't find a job? And that's the importance of like having an emergency fund. You want to make sure it's liquid. So, yeah, you could put it into like you buy a watch or you like buy a 10,000, I don't even know how much a Rolex is, like a $10,000, $15,000 Rolex, but it's not liquid. So chances are it will take some time for you to go and sell that and you could take that hit or you could put it into a high yield savings account, which isn't paying all too much at this point, but it's a way to somewhat keep up with inflation, allow it to be liquid and you can literally take it from whatever bank you have it at, let let it be ally. You can take it out pretty easily, have it in your bank account and then spend it as you need on expenses, everyday expenses. So when I talk to coaching clients, they always ask you know, that question. I always say high yield savings account because you want to make sure it's there for you. I also get the question, hey, like, should I put it into investments? Absolutely not, because we never know when March of 2020 is going to happen again um, or late 2008. So that money could go pretty quickly if you put it into you know, what the cool kids want to put in now, like tech stocks and all that stuff. You don't want to be in that situation and lose your job all at the same time. So consider a high yield savings count and you should be fine. Yeah, I would agree that that is running the, our Facebook group and stuff. That is one of the most common things that I see that like scares me for people. And one of the main reasons why we're doing what we're doing to try and educate people and stuff. But I see people all the time. I've got $10,000 just sitting in my savings account for my emergency fund. What are some stocks that I can buy that are super safe? They're not going to go down. And people think that there's like, oh, I could put it into an ETF or something and it's going to be super, super safe. But there's literally, I mean, yeah, and they may be right. I mean, they may luck out and it may grow and they may need it and it's better than it would have been in a savings account. But like you said, like there are these black swan events that, you know, happen that you have no way to predict, no way to be ready for. And then all of a sudden you are screwed. You lose your job because of COVID and you no longer have a savings account because it was in the market and that just tanked. So, you know, now what do you do? Now you're in debt. Now you're paying interest. You just ruined your, you know, potential financial future. So I'm really glad you mentioned like the temptation to chase, you know, three extra, four extra percent on your emergency fund, you know, is I get it. I used to think that way too, but like you literally can't, it's an emergency fund for a reason. You cannot and should not risk your emergency fund in the market. 
And you learn that over time, like through wisdom and through experience. So I went through college in 2008. So that's why it was really hard for me to get loans and things like that. But I never actually went through a major correction until last year. So me being a nerd, I'm like, oh my God, the correction is actually happening. And like people are losing their job. People are like dying and like it was bad. But I was really excited. The finance guy in me was so excited. I'm like, I can actually see what happens and how people react. And there are a lot of people who were like, you know, to the moon, like Amazon to the moon, like all these com- like all these companies to the moon. And the people who I thought had the highest risk tolerance were the ones that were jumping out first and saying, I can't handle this. The world is falling in. So now that we have this experience and we're more wise, we now know, hey, like this stuff can happen. Corrections happen, what, like every 10 years or something like that. So you have to prepare your portfolio for that. And that's the reason why we as wise men are saying, hey, like put it into a high yield savings account because you never know what can happen. Awesome, man. Well, this has been really good. Very helpful. I've learned a lot as always. It's been great talking with you, Mike. Do you have any other questions before we wrap this up? No, I think I'm good. I had fun with this episode. Yeah, so. for sure. So Mark, again, just take a couple of minutes to tell the people where they can find you, where they can follow you, your website, you do your spiel, sell yourself for your, you give your elevator speech. Oh, my elevator speech. Yeah, I've been practicing. So, uh, so again, Mark with Barrel Wallet. So you have the Instagram page and the goal is to help people make their finances even better, or get their finances in order. I specialize in working with young professionals, people who just graduated from school or they're in their first or second job and they're saying, hey, like, I want my money to work better and I want it to work for me. So hence Better Wallet. So you can find me on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter. I have my TikTok, though. I'm trying to you know, figure out the dance moves that all the cool kids are doing. <laughs> um, I have a community. So my Discord, Better Wallet University. Thank you, DJ, for helping me to set that up. We have over 200 scholars within Barrow University learning the topics that we're talking about today, high yield savings account, budgeting, even investing, how to build your business, how to monetize your Instagram like I was able to do. And we have sessions where we bring in experts from the community to talk about different topics like REITs, real estate, travel hacking, you know, how you can use your credit card the right way. So it's been a lot of fun having that community. And, you know, that's my number one spot when I'm going and I'm answering questions. We are also working on a podcast. So again, thank you, DJ. Um, It's called the Better Wallet Podcast. Very creative. But essentially, it's taking these stories, right? Like my stories, the stories of others, and trying to demystify the topic of finance and the topic of money and say, hey, like you can make money work for you. This is how I was able to do it. So I'm really excited for the podcast. And we're thinking about launching late january so more to come there but yeah if you guys have any questions you can always email me the better wallet at gmail.com or just send me a dm on instagram and i'm more than happy to get to you awesome man well this has been fun it's been real and it's also mm-hmm. been real fun I'll yeah say that. i'd say so <laughs> no this has been good dude it was great catching up with you great finally you know connecting for the podcast we've been talking about it for a while and looking forward to seeing what comes next for Better Wallet and Stock Dads and how we just keep on growing together and let's kick the world's ass here, you know? Yes, sir. The the financial world to their knees and say, hey, (laughs) this is time to do this. Let's get this (laughs) done.
I expect to be, you know, one of the first guests on your podcast. On the, oh, yeah. We're, already, we're setting that up now. I'm working That's on the intro and the outro and all that stuff. That ain't no oh, good. I got you hooked up on that, too. My guy that, that does the intro and outro for ours, when you hear this, you'll be like, oh, I got to have that guy. Mm-hmm. He's okay, good. perfect. He's it's good. pretty good. <laughs> it's awesome. So, all right, man. Well, thank you. Thank you to all of our listeners, as always. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of stuff as well. Stock Dads, we also are starting Crypto Dads, which is exciting for us. We may even have launched it by the time this airs. I'm not sure exactly when this is going to air. And and I got a little bit of a teaser. It's not, I mean, official yet, but like we've been reached out to by a pretty awesome company that may want to sponsor the podcast. So we may have some exciting news coming up with that too. I'm going to wait until all that's official to to break the news, but a lot of exciting things are happening with Stock Dads too. So, you know, join us, follow us, and let us know what you think of the episodes and if we can make them better somehow, which I know we absolutely can for sure. <laughs> Mike shaking his head. No, no. <laughs> let us know. Uh, and uh, you can always make fun of us and, you know, argue with me on Facebook because I'm known <laughs> for that too. So <laughs> just come onto the Facebook and start, you know, telling me why I, everything that I do should be free. And then I'll argue with you. And that'll be, you know, a fun conversation about that too. So, but awesome, dude. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mike, yes, as always. Mike, how are you feeling? How's that, Addy? It's pretty good. I haven't gotten to process it yet, but I <laughs> feel more normal than I thought I would. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Your yeah. questions were very rich, and they had depth to them today, so good work. Appreciate that. <laughs> that is out of the ordinary. So, <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we're out. We're going to catch you guys next week, every Tuesday. We're, uh, we're here. See you guys next week. See you. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Stocks and Sandals podcast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes, leave a five-star review, and join our premium community on Discord at stockdads.com slash plans. You can also follow us on all major social media platforms. But most importantly, stay off the grass.